Mr. Smith? Yes, doctor? The test results show that you have three completely blocked arteries. Three? Actually, it's amazing you're still alive. We need to perform triple bypass surgery as soon as possible. Wow, this is serious. When should you operate? I have a space open tomorrow morning. Tomorrow? Oh, that's not enough time for me to get in shape. Get in shape, Mr. Smith? Yeah. I don't want to have an operation without being in good health. I need to quit smoking. I don't think you have the time. And drinking. I need to stop drinking. Mr. Smith, you need major surgery. Yeah, I know, but I want to be in good health first. You wouldn't wait till you were in good health before having life-saving surgery. Yet, why do we think we have to clean up our act first before we can get into heaven? He knew that there was no amount of work, there was no amount of energy that he can put forth in order to attain the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus. Welcome to Anchor Points, a program produced by Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church of Frederick, Maryland. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more at fredericksdachurch.org. We all have a life-threatening disease called sin, and the only cure is Jesus. Today, Robert Quintana shares the journey a man named Saul took that made him realize you're never too far gone from the victory God has in mind for your life. As he shares part one, a victory is mine. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, and some of your versions might say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is undoubtedly one of the best books in all of Scripture and in the New Testament. Paul wrote this book, and some say that it is his greatest work. He went on to write 11 epistles. There's a debate whether or not he wrote the book of of Hebrews, but there's no doubt that he wrote the book of Romans. And a lot of scholars, theologians will say that this is indeed his finest work. He goes out to, to explain the significance of the cross of Christ. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell about the story of Jesus Christ. They tell about what he did while he was here, tell stories about his miracles. It describes the crucifixion. Romans, however, goes in great detail and to great lengths to explain the significance of Christ dying on the cross. But in order for us to understand and really appreciate the book of Romans and most of these passages that we just read here today, we have to know a little bit more about Paul. We need to know a little bit about um, who he is, where he came from, what was he all about to become one of the greatest evangelists known to man. I mean, whenever you get a chance, I want you to Google Paul's journeys And I want you to see how this man traveled from one town to one town to another city. And all he did was he would plant churches, he would equip, he would empower the believers there, and he would build up a church. And in in the middle of all of that, he would find the time to write these letters. 
He would write letters to to the church in Corinth. He would write letters to the church in in Philippi. He would write letters to Timothy, to, you know, colleagues, to friends. Those are only the ones that we know of, the ones that are here. How did he do it? We need to know a little bit about Paul. The first time that he's mentioned in Scripture is found in the book of Acts. I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter uh, 7 where we're going to read the first time that Paul is mentioned. Now, Luke, the physician, wrote the book of Acts. And in this book, he mentions many characters, maybe many New Testament characters, individuals that would go on to do great things in the church. Paul, undoubtedly, is one of those. Here in Acts chapter 7, we read the story of the first martyr for Christ. The first man who gave up his life for the cause of Christ. His name, Stephen. There he has an opportunity to share with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, anyone who would listen, the story of Jesus Christ. And he starts way back in the beginning. And he starts with the prophets and he's, he's outlining to them why Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. And then he gets to the point in his little exhortation here, where he says to them, and this Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, yeah, the Messiah, you crucified him. Well, they weren't very happy with that. You see, because their system of belief, their church, everything that they believed in was in jeopardy. And they did not appreciate this new teaching, this new way of life. And they weren't happy with it. So we pick up the story in verse 54. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Now listen closely. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my sight. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Wow. To have that kind of faith, to have that kind of dedication and that kind of purpose that you're living, you know, you're going through life and and there's nothing more that matters to you than Jesus Christ, that you would rather die than to renounce him, than to renounce his name. The first time we read about Paul in Scripture is there in verse 38. I know that it says Saul, and that can be kind of confusing for some because there was a King Saul in the Old Testament. But this Saul is Paul. Later on in the book of Romans, it clarifies that for us when it says that Saul, also known as Paul, and so it clarifies that. But this is the first time that we get a picture of who this Paul is gentleman is. It goes on to talk a little bit more about Paul. In chapter 8 verse 1 it says, now Saul, 
remember, Paul, and Saul was consenting to his death. In other words, he went along with it. He was okay with it. He was more than okay with it. He was probably supporting this action of stoning this man who is threatening our way of life, that is threatening our teachings, our beliefs. He's threatening our church. So yeah, get rid of him. He is a nuisance. And it says here that at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. In other words, the apostles were not scattered at this time. Verse 2, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. But now listen to verse 3 and get a picture. Start painting a picture of who Paul, what kind of man this was. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Can you believe that this is Paul? Yeah, the same Paul that went on to write most of the New Testament. Yeah, the same Paul that went on to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same man that went on to to go all around from town to town, city to city, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. That man, we see him here persecuting the Christians, persecuting those that have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Well, God had different plans for him. And I just need to pause here for just one second and just Point your attention to the testimony and witness of what we're just about to read here. You see, because Paul was a bad man. There's no way around it. He was a bad man. He was purposefully going about the opposite of what God wanted for his life and for the church. But yet God called him. The lesson for all of us here is that it doesn't matter where you currently are in life. That the lesson for us here is that you are not so far off from God tapping you on the shoulder and having you do great things on his behalf. You know that the Bible says that God's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. In other words, it doesn't matter how far away you are, God can still reach out and grab your mind and grab your heart and grab your attention so that you can do good things on his behalf. That's good news for all of us here. And we need to be, we need to live with that readiness in our minds because I believe that God wants to call every one of us into the ministry. Now, maybe not full-time ministry and maybe not getting up in front of people and talking like I'm doing here today, but God wants to call every one of you to good works, to build up the church, to call people into the kingdom that God is preparing for us, to invite them to be citizens of the kingdom of God, to invite them to be family members of this family that God is putting together. And God wants every one of us to have a part in that. Well, the conversion story takes place just a couple chapters later, starting with chapter 9, verse 1. I'd like for you to read there with me. 
chapter 9, verse 1, it says here, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. It says in verse 2, And asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he, so that if he found any who were of, there it is, I love it, the way. You know, the word Christian, you know, still wasn't around. That didn't come until later. If you were a disciple of Christ, if you chose to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, they would say of you that you are a follower of the way or you are a believer of the way. Do you remember Jesus Christ saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life? And anyone who said, you know, sign me up for that, they would say of you, look at that person. They're of the way. And so here... Saul, Paul, wants to continue persecuting, wants to continue throwing Christians into prison. He wants to make sure that he's doing it legally. You know, he doesn't want to be accused of doing something that is against the law. So he goes and says, look, give me the letters necessary for me to carry out what we need to do here to squander this new way of life. It says here in the end part of verse 2, whether men or women... He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting It is hard for you to kick against the goings. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise. Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, He saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drink. Now we just got finished with the sermon series on fasting. Here, he purposefully goes into a three-day absolute fast, right? No drink, no food. For three days, an absolute fast. Now there's one thing that I want to mention about this. Is that here you have Saul seeing this big light, big revelation. He hears this voice from heaven, Saul, Saul. You know, and a lot of us, we go through our days kind of with an attitude that says, you know what, God, I'll turn my life over to you. I, 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 you know, I'll... I'll surrender, I'll, I'll trust in you when I hear that big voice. You know, when I, when I see the, the lightning, when I see that shooting star, I want to see something big happen before I commit to you. Can I just say that God approaches us all differently? And, and, and what's effective with Paul might not be effective with us. Have you ever thought that if that happened to you, you'd just kill over dead from a heart attack? Maybe God knows that. And maybe that's why God's not letting you experience that. We all experience God differently. But the truth is, is that God is speaking to all of us. 
And that if we would only surrender to him, and if we would only take the time, we would hear his voice. And so Paul has this miraculous experience where God speaks to him. He goes to Damascus, and we pick up the story there in verse 10. And I love this because as this is going on in Paul's life, this is happening to Ananias. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise. I just love that word. For those of you that don't know, this is part of our mission statement here at the church. To arise. Allow God to arise in our lives, in our homes, and in our communities as we arise in worship to him. So he says, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And so here, Paul's waiting. While he's waiting, a vision gets to Ananias and says, I need you to go to the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, He has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. I love verse 13 because it just speaks to the humanity of it all. You know, this sounds like something that I would say. I would respond to God and I would say something like, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. You know how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem? You know, this guy has a reputation. His reputation precedes him. I've heard of this guy. I mean, this is the same Saul that, you know, puts Christians in prison, right? It's the same one that has murdered some. Are you sure that this is what you want me to do? Here's another lesson for us, guys. Sometimes God calls us to put ourselves in a position that we're not too excited about. Sometimes he calls us to put ourselves in harm's way. If God is calling you somewhere to do something that you're not too excited about, let me tell you that at the end of that journey, it will be worth it. But we keep on reading. He's a little bit apprehensive about going. Verse 14, and here he was, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so the story continues. Ananias goes to his house. They pray together. The Bible says that Paul is given sight once again. And it says there that Paul was baptized then and there, and the rest is history. Have you been following his story? Did you see where he was? And do you see what Christ did for him? You know, don't forget here that Paul considered himself the chief of all sinners, right? When, when he saw what Christ had done for him, when he realized it, he also realized Oh, what a wretched man that I am. 
He realized, I am the chief of all sinners. He realized, listen, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, none. But thank you, Jesus, that in Christ I find life. And so here we are today. Do you accept the gift? Because Paul accepted the gift. This is what had him so fired up because he knew that he was not worthy of this gift. He knew that there was no amount of work, there was no amount of energy that he can put forth in order to attain the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus. I have access to the righteousness of God I have access to eternal life, and all I need to do is accept it, is accept it. Now, can I have a volunteer? I need a volunteer. So so what happens when you realize that you have the gift, right? You're willing to step forward. For the purpose of illustration only. I don't want anyone leaving here today saying Pastor Q said he's God, okay? For illustration purposes only, we're going to say that I'm God, all right? And this Bible represents eternal life, okay? Now, you, Brandon, you've fallen short of God's glory. You're wretched. You're a sinner. You are the chief of sinners, right? See, this is what Paul understood, and this is what we all must understand, that we're all sinners, and that without Christ— We have no hope. But now God comes to Brandon and he says, Brandon, I have a gift that I want you to have. I want you to accept this gift. What are you going to (laughs) do? You're going to take it. You'd be a fool not to. But how many of us sit here today not knowing that if Christ were to come tonight or tomorrow, that we would be saved. We go through life without the assurance of salvation after what Christ went through so that we can have that assurance. And so he comes and he says, I have a gift that I want to give you. You have an option, as we all do. We can either accept that gift or we can reject it. We can say, you know what? Not now. I don't think I'm worthy of it. You know, not now. Let me get my life in order first. That is a lie of the devil because you're never going to get there on your own. And so God says, I have a gift. That gift is yours. According to scripture, Brandon has eternal life. This is what he goes on to explain in the book of Romans, that he has just been justified of his sins. When he took that gift of eternal life, What Jesus, in essence, said was, all right, now your sins I paid for on the cross. Your sins are covered. Now, let me ask you guys a very real question, because this is where we get all tripped up. Is Brandon perfect? But does he have eternal life? He's not perfect. He's been justified But the process of sanctification still needs to take place, right? And that is the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, through our lives. And it is a constant surrendering, 
where we say, God, I thank you. I praise you for this gift that you've given me. God, I am imperfect, but through your help, I will be a victor today. I will be victorious for you in your name today. This is what Paul does in the book of Romans. He's playing this fine balance between the law and grace. You can't have one without the other, but how do they interact together? How do they relate together? And more importantly, how does it relate to us here today? And this is what he's trying to teach us in the book of Romans, is the perfect balance between the law, which is important, and grace. And this is what he comes up with, is that we keep the law not because I want to be saved. I keep the law because I know I'm saved. This is why he had such fervor for God, for Christ and the things of God, because he knew he was saved. He knew that he was covered by the blood of the Lamb. And because he had that joy and that inner peace, he can face anything, anyone, anywhere, because he knew that he was covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because he knew he was saved, he was going to keep the law. In other words, he was going to please God however he knew how. Anchor Points with Robert Quintana is a ministry of the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church of Frederick, Maryland. If you enjoyed this message, feel free to share it with a friend. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or at fredericksdachurch.org. He says, listen, you need to understand one thing. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short of the righteousness of God. And then he says, and by the way, you need to understand that by keeping the law, it will not justify you. You can only be justified by the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus. Next week, Robert Quintana shares the second part of this series, Victory is Mine. Also, if you're wanting to learn more about how to begin a life change or just wanting more answers, we'd love to talk with you. Feel free to visit us online and check out some of our resources at fredericksdachurch.org. Our main service takes place Saturdays at 11 a.m., and we'd love for you to join us sometime. Remember, God loves you and wants you to live out His purpose.